him praise. Come on, let's give him praise. <laughs> you may be seated. While preparing this message for this morning, are you ready for the word? While preparing uh, this message uh, this morning, I thought I'd show you this so that you can understand exactly why we're here. sort of clap is that? Come on, you know what I'm talking about here. Can we give him praise? Give him praise, give him praise, give him praise. Yeah. 
That's it. That's how we finish. <laughs> and uh, some of you may have a hamstring problem. Some of you, when you, as you're running your race, I don't know what it is, but I tell you one thing. Your father will break through the crowd. He'll break through the critics. He'll break through the people trying to stop his love reaching you. And I don't care where you are. I don't care how you feel. I don't care what stage of the race you're at. I don't care how broken you are. I don't care if you can't even get up off the floor. I'm telling you something. We have a heavenly Father who will break through everything to get to you and make sure you finish your race. Come on, man. I mean, this is what it's all about. This is how it's done. And the church needs, I honestly believe, and I'm preaching this all over the world, whether I'm preaching to 30,000 people or just a handful of people uh, where Jesus is work, moving and uh, where he's planted, it doesn't matter where I go. The, the passion of my heart, it seems that the driving force of the season of my life is that, is, is that God wants us to get back to that. He, he wants us to strip it back and realize that he will never leave us or he will never forsake us. In fact, he came to a church once in Revelation uh, when he wrote a letter to one of the churches in Revelation. And it was the Ephesian church and it was maybe 30 years old, 40 years old. It was well established. There must have been 30,000 people in attendance. Timothy was the pastor. And they were hardworking and they, they, they were very sharp. They, they were very discerning about what was right and what was wrong. And uh, they were very, their, their, their social concern was amazing. It was, a, it was an amazing church. And, and Jesus commended them for the stuff that they were doing right. But on this occasion, he also came to remind them of something. And I, I, I didn't realize the significance of this morning. I really didn't. I, it, you know, uh, I, uh, it is a time when I'm just coming to preach at home. And I didn't realize until now these, the, the prophetic uh, application of this word that God has told me to, to bring. Uh, and he said, I want, you to rem I want to remind you, I, I want you, this, it's all great, I, I love the stuff, but I, I want to remind you not to forget your first love. The video, the video that you saw is what God wants to remind us of, is the reason we get where we get is because of first love, is because of Father's love. He gets all the glory. He gets all the praise. And when Jesus came to this church, very impressive church in Ephesus, he basically said to them, I'm not really impressed with the size of the church, but I want you to focus on the soil of the church. He wasn't impressed with what they grew, but he was more impressed with how they grew. He wanted them to refocus their gaze from what was happening above ground to what was happening below ground. They were looking at the fruit. Jesus was concerned with the root. 
And he was calling them back to their first love. I've heard so much preaching on first love, you know. Got to get back to your first love. And, so, some, and I preached it myself, you know. Uh, f- what is first love? W- what was Jesus trying to tell the church? You, you need to get back to your first love. You, you need to remain in your first love. The work is great and all that's wonderful, but don't forget first love. And I, I think it is, is it the first love of reaching the lost? Is it the first love of reading the Bible? Is it the first love of meeting together regularly as a church? Is it, and I, 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 and I had to cross wrong on all them. Because in this, in this new season of the church, I believe the greatest season in the history of the church since it was birthed 2,000 years ago, I I, I finally realized what first love is. This is first love. Because unless we get back to first love, unless the fruit that we produce is, is, is seeded in the soil of first love, everything that happens above ground is irrelevant. When it comes to the gaze of heaven, He says, I want to see what you do. I want to see the fruit that you produce that's seeded from first love. Remember your first love. Get back to the first love. And this is first love. This is love, John said. Not that we loved him, but that he first loved us. That's the first love. He said, I want you to get back to that. It'll deliver you from stress. It'll deliver you from performance-based Christianity. It'll deliver you from the fear of failure. It'll help you when you've broken your leg and you can't run. It'll help you when you can't sleep at night because you think you've messed up. No, no, no. It's not about your performance. It's not about your faithfulness. It's not about your love for me. It's about my love for you. And I don't want you to forget it. That's first love. Remember your first love. He was reminding them of what... He actually told them years ago when the the church was planted. And uh, the church was planted years ago. And and what, what what was the first words that God spoke to this church through the mouth of the Apostle Paul? What was the foundation on which the church was to be built? And now he's coming 30 years later to remind them Of the same thing, Ephesians 3, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Here it is, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And he's not just talking about our love for one another. No, he said, listen, listen, this is first love. I want you to be grounded and rooted, not in the depth of your love, but in the depth of his that you might that you might comprehend with all the saints what's the width and length and height and, and depth and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge don't ask me why God loves me it's the same reason why he loves you and you can't answer that question either can you 
He loves us because He loves us. He can't help Himself. We love Him. Our love for Him is a response. Not an obedience. And so He speaks to this church and He says, in its inception, and I remember when I'm looking back, as lots of stuff. Man, I, I bluffed it for 26 years being a pastor here. Because I really was just trusting God day by day. But the one thing that kept me running, the one thing that kept me turning up against all the stuff was I have a dad who's prepared to run out of the crowd and get to my side and hold me up and keep me running. Come on, and then give me the credit for finishing. Come on, somebody, that's the love of God which passes understanding. So it's a reminder, church, King's Church Newport, it's a reminder, Jesus is lovingly coming. He says, don't forget your first love. Don't forget how much I love you. Even though when you don't love yourself, I love you during those times. You see, why is it, why is it our priority to live in the first love? I'll tell you why, and I'm just reviewing, I'm just reviewing 30 years of his story in our church. History, his story. You know why we need to get back and remind ourselves we love him because he first loved us because first love creates a culture of forgiveness in God's house when 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 we have a congregation that understands first love you know what it creates a culture of forgiveness in God's house the wonderful thing about first love is that it refocuses our gaze from our imperfections and other people's imperfections to his perfections. One of my favorite verses, I shared it before, Psalm 27, verse 44 says, The one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord. All the days of my life, watch this. And when I'm in the house of the Lord, I don't want to delight on other people's imperfections. When I'm in the house of the Lord, I'm not going to sit there and beat myself up because of my imperfections. The church is not a place where the preacher beats the congregation up. The church is not a place where it was a pointing finger. Jesus did not die like this. He died like this. No man, when we come to the house of God, that's why I know you're in the right place, right here. If you plant your life into this house, you will not get a pointing finger. You will not be judged according to your imperfections or your or, or other people's. But you, no, our delight, we will delight in His perfections. We says, it says, delighting in the Lord's perfections. This is a house of mercy. This is a house of grace where we don't come here and get depressed because of our imperfections or judge other people because of their imperfections. No, man, our gaze is on Him. Our gaze is on Jesus. 
God says, Moses, when you make the Ark of the Covenant, above the Ark of the Covenant, I want you to make a mercy seat. And the mercy seat has to be beaten out of the same lump of gold. And the mercy seat has to be bigger than the law. The law was inside the box in the ark. The mercy is always bigger than judgment. And so make it bigger. And then out of the ends of, or out of the ends of the mercy seat, beaten out of the same gold, I want you to form cherubims. Uh, they, are, they, are, they are beings in heaven that cover the glory of God. And he says, I want you to make these cherubims. And I want you to, their wings to cover the mercy seat. Because the blood is going to be sprinkled. The blood that makes you clean is going to be sprinkled on this mercy seat. I'm not going to speak to you from law. I'm going to speak to you from mercy. Because if I speak to you from law, I could kill you. But no, the mercy seat is here. And when the blood, and I want the cherubim's wings to cover, and I want them, watch this. And he said, Moses, I do not want them to face each other. They had to face each other, but I don't want them to look at each other. Because if they looked at each other, they would just see a replica of themselves. Now, Moses, when you construct the cherubims, I want you to make them facing each other. But I want, I want, you, I want you to construct them with their faces looking at the blood. So when they see each other, they see each other as a reflection through the blood. Come on, somebody. We, I don't look at you. I can't point at you and talk about your imperfections because I'm just looking at myself. But when I see you through the spotless blood of Jesus Christ, I see a new creation. I see a miracle. I see a wonderful God wash somebody. Better give praise to Jesus before I flip and explode here. Shout something to the Lord, you precious people. Delighting in the Lord's perfections. It creates a culture of forgiveness in God's house. First love empowers you to walk in forgiveness with yourself and forgiveness with others. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 says these words. Make allowance for each other's faults. See, this is what only first love can do this. You can always tell a person who doesn't realize they're loved by God. They'll always point their finger at somebody else. People who can't forgive others basically don't know how to forgive themselves. People who slander others, people who lie about other people. Do you know what? That You should feel sorry for them because they basically, they, they don't understand first love. But when you do, can you imagine a whole church? Can you imagine every single member of this church marinated in first love? Come on. It's no wonder Jesus prioritized it. No, he said, it's not your strategies. It's not your talents. It's not your titles. It's not jockeying for position. No, man, I want you to get it back to first love because that's the stuff, that, that's the soil that produces the people that will change the world. Colossians, make allowance for each other and forgive anyone who offends you. Hey, hey. That's easy, isn't it? Not. But I got some great news for you. 
Don't try to do it with your love. Don't try to forgive with your strength. Don't try to, to love them with your love because it's imperfect. But I got some great news for you. Do you know what first love tells you? His love, His love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So when people hurt you and offend you and lie about you and betray you, you can dig deep in there and say, Jesus, I want to kill them. Jesus, I don't like them. Jesus, sort them out, send fire down. But no, I know that's not the right way. So Lord, I thank you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I draw... I draw deep. I go deep. Paul said to the Ephesians, I want your life to be deeply planted. In first love, you will never make it as a happy Christian. <laughs> oh, you'll make it a heaven because of the blood of Jesus. But if you walk around like a miserable pot of pickled onions... The bitterness and jealousy and all that stuff. Listen, Jesus, stop it. It'll kill you. Stop it. It'll kill you. Is he saying it'll never happen? No. But he's saying when you are offended, when you are betrayed, you just hand your case to God. Let me take care of those people. Your job is to love them, not to judge them. Come on, somebody. And you can do that. You can do that. Uh, Remember the Lord forgave you. Yeah, this, look. So what's he saying in this whole forgiveness thing? You've got to go back to first love, otherwise you can't do it. Remember what I did for you. Come on. See, this is first love. It'll revolutionize your church. Revolutionize your love, so you must forgive others. Wow. Are we okay for time, Dave? We all right? I'm loving this. I love, do you know what? The best place in the world to preach is at home. Honest to God, I tell you now. I just absolutely love it. Other people, I go to some places, they, they don't understand me. <laughs> I don't know why. Anyway, <laughs> here we go. Watch this one. Are you receiving this? Remembering first love creates a culture of unselfishness in God's house. The Corinthian church was riddled with selfishness. What was Paul's antidote to all the selfishness? It wasn't, you should be on it. God, no, no. Do you know what his antidote was for the cancer of selfishness? It was the first love machine. 1 Corinthians 13, we know it. It says this, 1 Corinthians 13. I got it here. Hey. Watch this. Love is patient. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I just demonstrated that to you. <laughs> love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Now, what's he doing? He's putting, he's putting the grace machine. See, basically, right, first love is grace. That's basically what it is. He's putting the grace machine into the church, not the law machine. He says, look, love is patient, kind, love is not jealous, boastful, or proud, or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it doesn't keep any record of wrongs. 
It, it doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. But you know what? Hey, listen, Paul here is not describing the love that's, that God demands we have for each other. Now, Paul is describing the love that God has for us. He says, the reason you can do this is because this is the way you are loved. 1 Corinthians 13 is a breakdown, is a, a chemical breakdown of the love of God for us. Aren't you glad that love, God's love is patient? Come on, somebody. Yeah, yeah. And kind and, and generous and, and he keeps no record of wrongs. No, that's first love. Man, you want to get up in the morning and say, thank you that I am loved like that. Even though you've been a plonker all week, you can get up and say, thank you, Lord. Even though I've been a plonker, I haven't been the best husband, I haven't been the best wife, I haven't been, I haven't been the, the best employer, employer, whatever. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that I am loved, that you're patient with me and kind with me and you keep no record of wrongs. Do you know what? That's the motive for you to go out and be a blessing to everyone you meet. Come on, if you're going to give him a clap, give him a clap. Jesus, I love this. The main barrier, the main barrier to the development of a grace-filled life is the radical self-centeredness of our sinful human heart. Self-centeredness is the havoc-wrecking problem in many churches and marriages and families. Self-centeredness. It's all about me. It's the cancer at the center of disunity and contention. And according to Paul, first love is the very opposite of self-seeking and the only antidote to this killer disease. Self-centeredness by its very character makes us blind to our own while being hypersensitive and offended and angered by the same in other people. There are many reasons why we cannot see our own self-centeredness and one main factor uh, to our own self-centeredness is our own history of mistreatment. Many people are straight-jacketed by hurt. Hurt by parents, hurt by former spouses, hurt by church leadership. And they live chained to woundedness. Chained to woundedness. Causing them to be self-absorbed that the development of a grateful heart is virtually impossible. Sometimes when you talk to wounded people, it's not long before they begin to talk about themselves. They are so self-absorbed in their own pain that they're incapable of being sensitive to the needs of others. And you know what? Self-centeredness, it, it runs through us like Black Bull Rock. And there are two ways to deal with the cancer of self-centeredness. The secular way and the first love way. The secular way encourages self-absorbed people to live for themselves, not others. Look after number one. Look after number one. Be self-absorbed. That's the secular way. Your needs are the priority. Your desire should always have preeminence because of all you've been through and how badly you've been treated. Now, Paul's remedy, Paul's remedy was first love remedy. And it demolishes that secular view. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 to 19. Either 
where Christ's love controls us. This first love that controls us. Watch this. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life, here's the answer to self-centeredness. That those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. And I know it's hard when you've been hurt. And I know it's hard when you've been wounded. But I'm telling you, the secret to healing in your own heart is to bless somebody else when you need that blessing yourself. Is to hug somebody else when you need that hug yourself. Is to say kind words to come on. You need some, I need some help here. Am I speaking to the right people here? This is how you do it. And then Jesus' words, no, no Jesus, yeah, in Matthew chapter 16, uh, he, he, says, he says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him look after number one. Come on, talk to me. If you want to follow me, then you are not the priority. If you want to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life, in other, in other words, wh whoever desires to live self-centeredly will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, for first love, will find it. Come on, man. This is the way that you... I'm preaching because I'm so happy here. And I'm going to finish with this. David, like, I'm okay for time. We're okay. Are you all right out there? I'm going to wrap this up. Here's the third reason why first love is important in the church. If I can find my notes, is because it creates a culture with the material God can use. First love creates a culture. Dave and Faye are the fruit of first love. Dave and Faye are the fruit of first love culture. God, they have grown up in God's house with their feet firmly planted in first love. I'm going to show you what I mean in just a moment. And God says, that's the material I can use. Here we go. Watch this. This will blow you away. Are you ready for this? Psalm 92 verse 12. We know it well. But, but in this setting, God exploded revelation for me. The righteous... I mean, Faye used the word flourish. She said, I flourished in this house. Watch this. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. The righteous. Whenever you see the word righteous, it doesn't mean those that live godly lives. Those that are righteous living, those that are morally good, those that never make a mistake. Now, when you see the word righteous, I wrote it down from the Strong's, justified and declared forgiven by God. The righteousness I'm talking about is a righteousness that God gave to us as a gift. First love, I call it, all right, let's rephrase it, the first love. The ones who understand first love. The righteous. 
Who knows? There's nothing to do with them. But the soil they are growing out of is unmerited. It's, 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 it's undeserved. First love. You know what? It produces palm trees and cedars. I know you want to know why that is. If I'm going to tell you, you little tinkers, I'm going to tell you. Do you know palm trees? See, when God uses natural analogies, there's a reason. He didn't just say, oh, uh, you know, it, it, you know, like uh, the Holy Spirit came down upon him like a sparrow. Don't say that. Or the Holy Ghost came down on him like a pigeon. No, it says the Holy Ghost came down on him like a dove. There's a whole message there. I heard, I heard Dave's father preach on it. I have got time for that. But, so he uses palm trees and cedars. This is the material he uses, God's, uses to build his house. And it, they can only grow out of first love soil. Palm trees. Do you know something about a palm tree? You, know, you can cut a palm tree, but you can't kill it. The nutrients of most trees that they need to survive is found just under the surface of the bark. When you cut those trees, they die. Not so with a palm tree. You know why? Because its life comes from its core. Its life comes from its heart. Grace grown Christians, first love Christians are like that. They are not surface. They are not shallow. They are not easily offended by others. They have strong, wonderful hearts rooted and planted in first love. They are planted, not placed. They are devoted to the soil, not placed not placed on them. Palm trees bend, but they don't break. Tropical storms can blow most trees off the landscape, not palm trees. When the, when the storm rages, sometimes a palm tree can bend all the way to the ground. And once the storm is over, it straightens up. And the, and the place where it was bent, they get stronger than before the storm. Yeah, God's talking about palm trees. They can only grow with a first love. Here's another thing on a palm tree. They're very sensitive to transplanting. A palm tree must be transplanted by an expert. Palm tree Christians don't uproot themselves from the place of planting. They don't uproot themselves. They wait for the expert to tell them if and when they should go somewhere else. Come on, I want you to say a big amen here. Watch this. I'm teaching truth here. So many Christians, when the going gets rough, so many Christians who are planted in a church, they've been set there by God, they've been planted in the church, but because of offense, because they don't get noticed, because they think they're bigger than everybody else, because they think I should be there instead of here. Family ties, boredom, selfish ambition. They uproot themselves. Now, the reason why, don't you think that Dave and Faye have wanted to go somewhere else sometimes? When the storms have hit here, when the slander has come against this church, when lies have been said, when, when, when stuff, when they've had to stand for stuff and, and it's been hurting and they've, they, the, the, you know, the last thing they wanted to do is, no, but you know why? They're palm tree leaders. Their roots go down into first love. 
And they know we are not moving from this place until the expert transplants us. And I'm so glad that they've weathered the stuff and they've stuck the stuff and that the expert has said, you are going nowhere. I'm going to use you to take this church to the next level of their history. Come on, you need to get this. I've had, I've had, gifted, I've had gifted people, gifted people who should be here. But they don't like being number two. Or they don't like being number three. Listen, after 30 years, I've realized I'm John the Baptist. Come on, preparing the way for these people. Give me a break. Paul said it doesn't matter. He says one plants, one sows. But at the end of the day, it's God that gives the increase. And I've seen so many, I've seen so many, Dave, we've seen it, so many gifted people, they think, no, I, they see me operate under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, and they think, I can do that. Well, go ahead and flip and try it then. Because if you think you can do it, I find it difficult with the Holy Ghost. Be my day, make my day, and go and try it without Him. So many self-appointed leaders gather people unto themselves. I've given them a platform here. They have flown under the anointing God's put upon me. But because of arrogance and selfish ambition, they think they can go and do it themselves. Well, you're welcome to it. No, God is looking for palm tree Christians who stay planted where God plays. Give the Lord Jesus some praise right here. I'm nearly through. I'm nearly through. God, give him praise. I, you know, this is, this is teaching that will help you. Don't follow any leader that just says, I am, I am this. I, I just read in this morning a whole series I did in this church on how to recognize a planted leader. How to recognize a ministry gift. There's so many people run after, run after, you know, the, the Bible doesn't say that, the, 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 that they'll be like wolves in shepherd's clothing. There'd be wolves in sheep's clothing. There's so many, you know, young, gifted people. I've seen them in this house. They go off, plant their own thing, and they're affecting nobody. When you see a house like this, the history of a house like this, where thousands upon thousands have had their lives changed, where, 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 where the local authorities recognize if this church was not here, Newport would be a worse. Oh, I'm telling you something. You've got to be brain dead if you can't see that. But they're not palm tree. They're not palm tree. They uproot themselves. Oh, we can do that. Well, I want to tell you, if you were planted in this house, you are following a planted couple right here by Jesus. Come on, I, I'm telling you, they're planted. They are palm tree leaders. I'm going to finish with this. The cedars of Lebanon, they'll be like cedars. Are you receiving this this morning here? I'm going to finish with this, right? The cedars of Lebanon. It says, uh, people planted in first love will be like palm trees and they'll be like cedars. You know, there are four different types of cedars. God, when he built his house in the Old Testament, he was specific about the wood that was used. And if you check out your, your, your concordance, it was always the, the main wood was the cedars of Lebanon. 
And God says, my leaders and my people, I want them to be like cedars. You see, you, you can only grow like a cedar if you're, if you're planted in first love. First of all, we have the small cedar. This, this, a small, this type of cedar is very viscous. It's very sticky. It oozes a gum. So that when you, when you cut them and you put them on the cart and they had to transport the cart, they had to bring them down to the place where they were going to be used in God's house. You know what? You didn't need to tie them down. They just naturally stuck it out. And when the cart went over the bumps and when the cart maneuvered around difficult bends, you didn't have to tie them down. Not only did they stick with it, but they had others to stick with them. See, God is wanting to build his house with small cedars. Small cedars. They'll stick together whatever the journey throws at them. Christians who stick together with the vision of the house, whatever the journey throws at them. Christians who will stick with the vision of the house, however uncomfortable and unpredictable it is. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm boasting on this couple today because over the 20 odd years I've been here, I want to tell you, I've had two small cedars who have stuck with this journey and stuck with this vision, even though it's been twisty and bumpy. Come on, somebody say amen. That is the type. <clears throat> then, then you have the tall cedar. They have the, the tall cedar. The, these are tall, majestic trees. And, and they are so called because of their root system. The reason why they are so tall is because of the size of their roots. What did Jesus say? They'll flourish. What did the Bible say? They'll flourish like cedars. This is what will happen to you if you're planted in first love. Their roots, actually, the mountain on which the tall cedars grew... The roots that went down from the tall cedar actually held the mountain together. It actually held the earth together. Hmm. God needs tall cedars to build his house. People whose roots go down into God's love, into first love, rooted in love, rooted in grace. And they enable the local church to hold things together when things are falling apart. They stay when others leave. They encourage when others slander. They stand firm when others falter. And over the 30 years, I want to tell you, I thank God for tall cedars. When this place was falling apart, it was their roots that held the whole thing together. And then you got the fire cedar, nearly through. The fire cedar. It was called the fire cedar because they were great fire lighters. They were easy to ignite. <laughs> I love it. God needs fire cedars to build his house. People who don't need constant affirmation. People who don't need constant pats on the back. But they just turn up whether people like them or don't like them. They turn up whether they're feeling bad or whether they're feeling good. They turn up, they don't care. You know why? Because they're combustible. They're ignitable. They, they, they don't need 7,000 word phone calls. Where were you last week? They are first here and they're last to leave. And they, it doesn't matter what's going on in their life. They ignite the house and they bring warmth and excitement. Come on. God is still building his church with fire. So give Jesus some praise right here. 
They don't need titles. They just serve. Dave and Faye needs a bunch of fire cedars. Dave and Faye need a bunch of tall cedars. Dave and Faye need a bunch of small cedars. And the last one they definitely need is a bunch of humming cedars. Now that's very true of some of you in the natural. That was a joke, ladies and gentlemen. Humming was the operative word. But no, that's not the deal. Watch this. Humming cedars. Do you know what a humming cedar was? They grew on the highest of all. They grew way up on the mountain. And historians tell us that when the storm raged, as the wind whistled through their branches, as they stood up and, and took the brunt of the storm, it sounded like they were singing. It sounded like a mass orchestra. You see, Jesus needs humming cedars to build his church still. People who will sing when others criticize. People who will give praise to God when other people want to point the finger of judgment. Come on, folks. I want to tell you, when, when you are planted in first love, when your life goes deep down into first love, you will grow like a palm tree and you'll grow like a cedar and you can be used of God. I want you to give God some praise in this house right here. Can you stand with me? Physicians, come. Have you received the word of God today? Come on, let's give the Lord a real clap then and a real praise. Come on, give him a real praise. Now. That's awesome. Just look at me right now. What is your life planted in? Do you know that you're loved by God? Some of you may have been rejected by those closest in your family. And so you've tried to find love somewhere else. You don't know what life is all about. You're empty on the inside. You're wondering, why am I here? And you say, Ray, are you telling me that Jesus loves me even though I'm, I'm living a lifestyle that's just not right? Yeah, I, I am. Because you know, there's a verse in the Bible that says this. When we were still sinners... Jesus loved us. That's first love. And I'm asking you not to give your life to a religion or join this church. I'm asking you to respond to first love. Jesus is here. You're empty. Why stand another second empty? This love I'm talking about, no other person can give you. You can fulfill all your ambitions. It will not satisfy you like this love. Watch this. When you come to Jesus, he's not asking you to pay the bill. Jesus has already paid the bill. He's offering you the receipt. He's done the work. You are already forgiven. All he wants you to do is say yes to that. I want every head bowed, every eye shut, please, right now. I'm going to count to three after I pray this prayer. When I pray this prayer, if you were here and you say, Ray, I want to pray a prayer like that. Here's the prayer, right? 
Jesus, thank you that you love me and you have forgiven me for all my sin. Thank you. I receive forgiveness and I accept first love. Now, if you are here and you've never prayed a prayer like that, but you'd like me to pray it with you right now, when I count to three, I want you to raise your right hand. Don't leave this building as empty as you came in here. You don't need to do that. Jesus can sort it. When I count to three, if you want me to pray with you, raise your right hand. One, two, three. Raise it up high. High. God bless you. Keep it up. God bless you. Raise your hand. You need, yes, God bless you in the front here. Yeah, there's one at the back on the tiered seating. God bless you. Anybody else? Raise it up. <clears throat> I'll just ask one more time. There's oh, two young people in the front here. This is wonderful. Anybody else raise and say, Ray, I'm going to receive Jesus into my life here. Yes, God bless you. Father, you see all these people that have raised their hands right now. I thank you that a miracle is taking place in their lives as we speak. Thank you. Their lives will never, ever be the same again. And everybody said, Amen. <laughs>